From Washington, this is a special edition of the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies. Welcome to this special edition podcast episode from Hamilton Place Strategies. I'm Brian DeAngelis, Managing Director at HPS, and will be serving as the host and moderator of this discussion. With me in studio today are HPS partners Stacy Kerr and Michael Steele. Stacy, Michael, welcome. Good to be hey. with you. We're here today to talk about the impeachment inquiry Speaker Pelosi launched last week. Uh, this has dominated the news cycle here in Washington, and we're receiving lots of questions from clients, staff, partners, and others about what this all means, how it'll play out, what we'll see from Congress in terms of a legislative agenda. So I'm personally very excited to be having this conversation with the two of you. Stacy, you spent 10 years as a senior aide to Speaker Pelosi. Michael, 12 years in the House, a senior aide to Speaker Boehner. I say this sincerely, I think there are very few people in this town who know Capitol Hill and especially the House of Representatives better than you two. So I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Thank you. I want to start based on what I've been hearing from folks since Speaker Pelosi's announcement, which is really to that point of what does this all mean? We know what a at this point now, we know what impeachment will look like. We know kind of who's in charge and where that'll run. But there's a pretty heavy legislative agenda that both the speaker had as well as President Trump. There's an election right around the corner. Where do you think we go from here in terms of those legislative priorities? Yeah, I think that there's I think there's two ways to to look at this. One is that impeachment poisons the well for everything and for all time. Uh, I think that's, to a certain extent, conventional wisdom right now, and I don't think it's necessarily correct. I think that there are um, opportunities in the short term to continue making progress on the handful of big-ticket items where there is some common ground, like uh, uh, the USMCA, the US-Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement. Uh, And then there's also going to be a desire, once this is done, particularly among the vulnerable Senate Republicans and potentially vulnerable House Democrats to put some wins on the board in the remaining year. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has outlined a very aggressive schedule trying to get this done by Thanksgiving, perhaps, but certainly by the end of the year before voters start voting in New Hampshire and Iowa. And that leaves a whole year, a year that's an election year, a year that is not really designed for big legislative lifts, right. but you could see a lot of progress on small to medium-sized items as members get ready for their re-election. And Stacy, you've worked with Speaker Pelosi. You know how hard it is to keep that caucus in line. You know how important it is to her to protect those frontline Democrats. How is she going to walk and chew gum over the next few months? Yeah, well, I think she gave us a glimpse of that this week, right? She's going to continue to show that Democrats can legislate while running a very narrow and, to the extent that possible, fast, speedy impeachment process. So I think that was maybe a bigger question when this first came out a week ago, and I think we've gotten some answers that that Democrats are going to try to do both. It's interesting, I think, you know, in some ways, um, on the legislation front, this is really what we've seen Democrats' strategy since winning the midterm election is really... How do they pass legislation and send it to the Senate, send it to the White House? And while everyone in Washington, you hope, comes to to have legislation become law, that is there's a lot of factors that control that. And I think Democrats are going to continue to do their part 
to pass those bills and to put forward legislation so that members can go home and talk about the work that they're doing to advance the issues that that frankly voters sent them to Washington to do. Now we saw Trump come out earlier this week and say no way that's all politics Pelosi can't do both at the same time that seems to be to the extent it is a strategy his communication strategy but USMCA negotiations are continuing is that just Trump taking his stand with his bully pulpit Twitter account and his administration will continue to work with Dems or will this whole thing shut down? I think he Officials in his administration will continue to work on these issues, whether or not the president is tweeting or supporting them in his public comments. And part of his strategy right now is to paint Democrats as obsessed with impeaching him, obsessed with his new favorite phrase, presidential harassment, rather than being focused on doing the work of the American people. I think that that will probably continue to be his top line message as long as this inquiry is active. But it will presumably end. It will presumably end with the Senate, no matter what the House passes, failing to remove him from office. And he will also have a full year left before his reelection when you would think that he would want to work on some actual accomplishments uh, for the American people. And a few of those accomplishments are his, right? USMCA is, I would argue, as important to the president's reelection as it is to House Dems' election. Now, Pelosi's drug price plan may be different, but. He's got an incentive to keep the ball moving on USMCA, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I think everybody has an incentive to keep that moving. You know, I think the one piece that isn't talked about a lot in the in the larger national conversation that could be a big impediment to USMCA is the UAW GM strike. The strike in Michigan. And it's right. hard to imagine how that legislation passes with what is now becoming I think the second longest strike in history. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's part of the backdrop. But again, we've got until presumably the end of the year to deal with the impeachment matter. I don't see USMCA passing during the next two months. I think it's something right. that we look at in January, February, March. I think that you could see revived interest in a large-scale infrastructure bill, although, again, that's very difficult from the finance point of view. What Republicans want in an infrastructure package is very different from what Democrats want in an infrastructure package, which is why in some ways – Outside of MCA, I think the likeliest areas are small bore, things like energy, things like healthy environment, things that um, are really can pass without a great deal of public notice, but will be appealing to members' constituents when they're talking, when they're making the yeah, case. Yeah, it's the all these are the topics. And I think these are still the topics that members are getting asked about when they go home. I mean, obviously, a big focus on impeachment, as you said, dominating the news cycle. And I think we're starting to see how that's starting to dominate some of the town halls with members of Congress, as we've seen over the last few days, people coming home. But I do still think that November of 2020 is a long time away. And I think there's a lot of challenges that people face. And they are not looking to Washington to obsess over impeachment for the next 10 months. And so I want to ask on that, not to be too naive here, but how much has the official inquiry changed the re-election strategy of some of these House Democrats. I mean, for months now, the Democratic base has been building up to impeachment. But now a lot of these members have to actually go back and explain what they're doing, why this Ukraine phone call was different. How much do you see that changing their strategies? I think that that question, Brian, maybe is even best asked for all members of Congress, because I think we've reached a point where it's not going to be sustainable for any member of Congress to avoid this. I think we've seen a ton of attention in the Democratic base 
already talking about it, pressuring moderates, why they weren't for this before. I think we've reached a new level of fact-finding and, frankly, admission from the president in which any member of Congress has to be prepared to talk about their position on this over the coming weeks. Yeah, and I think that there's there's two ways of looking at this in the sense that the old way of looking at elections was that each party had their base and you were essentially fighting for the 10 or so percent in the middle in any election. Right. And if you look at the uh, – Amy Walter had a great column uh, recently about how there's been five good public polls since the announcement of this inquiry. And in all of them, independents, folks in the middle, had swung pretty decisively against the president, but his base hadn't moved a whit. He's still polling with that same high 30s, low 40s that, um, you know, the shoot a man on Fifth Avenue crowd that will always be with him. That hasn't moved in a bit. Democratic base is obviously very fired up. The question, I think, is whether this can permanently shift those voters in the middle against the president and towards Democrats, similar to what we saw in the midterm elections in 2018, or going into the 2020 election, we're going to see those two base, the the independents split kind of evenly, and it's a question of base turnout. Are Democrats angry enough at the president? Are the president's supporters angry enough at Democrats to go to the polls in the record numbers that we saw on the Republican side in 2016 and to a certain extent in the on the Democratic side in 2018? Yeah, and it's hard to not have these conversations, you know, focus on polarization and continued polarization. And I think there's also, as it relates to, to November of 2020 for House races, Senate, you know, and for the presidential race, there's, there's a real um, sort of excitement and energy factor for both sides, given that neither side right. has a base. Right. And both sides are led them. by political leaders, thinking Pelosi and McConnell, who at the end of the day care about their caucus. And right. even to the point McConnell at some point will be stuck between there are now four uh, Republican members of free election that are being targeted with ads from Tom Steyer's impeachment group. Sure. They're going to feel a lot of pressure. At what point does he have to start backing away from the president and, you know, giving some of these members cover? Well, one thing I think that was interesting this week that we saw from the congressional leaders in the House, from Pelosi, from McConnell, is really, I think, a a reinforcement of their constitutional responsibilities here. And I think that's something that we haven't seen from the president, regardless of where you fall on impeachment. I mean, Mitch McConnell came out and said, if this comes over to me, there's, there's, I mean, I think he answered the question, will he fail to take it up? No. And I think, you know, from, from, from the congressional leaders, I think there is a real respect for their constitutional obligations in this as well. Right. I think that's true. I do, however, think you have to listen to everything that McConnell says. He says that there will be a trial. There will not be simply, uh, but a motion to dismiss will be in order immediately after that trial begins. There was such a motion in the Clinton impeachment. It failed. In this case, you can easily see Democrats, if House Democrats make an effective case, then perhaps you start seeing greater pressure. Right. Absent a real shift in public opinion, greater than what we've seen thus far by orders of magnitude. I would say that it comes to the Senate. There is some brief perfunctory John Roberts goes to the front of the chamber and taps a gavel. There is a motion to dismiss. And if necessary, Susan Collins can vote with the Democrats. He's got a couple of hall passes to give, but it is swiftly disposed of. And again, we're still talking, we'll still be in calendar year 2019 when this happens. We have a full year in 2020 of legislative activity that 
people are going to want to do. And if you look at to the point that we need to get some things done, if you look at the the, the senators who ran more strongly than President Trump in their states, Rob Portman, I think, is the classic right. example here of someone who was between 15 and 20 uh, points ahead of the president in Ohio. He did it by focusing relentlessly on a relatively small, easy-to-remember number of issues that were incredibly important to his constituents, fighting opioids, crisis in the VA, et cetera. You're going to want to have those sort of tangible victories. And I, I would think there are two categories that if I were Democrats in the House, I would be thinking of. One, what the press will derisively refer to as messaging bills, legislate the 400 bills they've already passed. The HR 3 would probably go in this category. When House, Repu- when House Republicans were in the majority and Democrats controlled the Senate, we did a very similar exercise. Everyone talked about the 300 House-passed jobs bills stacked like cordwood in front of Harry Reid's office. Right. But you also actually need some things that become law. And that's going to be the where- places where you want to find those little areas of common ground on common sense issues for your constituents that actually get signed into law and you can you have a tangible accomplishment. And at some point, I have to imagine McConnell wants the president to just give him a little breathing room to protect those members. And we're all communication strategists here. The president standing in front of the press corps and now calling on China to go investigate the Bidens is Seems like messaging, you know, failure 101 to me where he's digging that hole deeper and Mitch McConnell has to be letting out a big sigh over in those Senate chambers because this has just gotten even more harder for his members. Well, I think as it relates to message discipline, I mean, we've I, I think we've seen this increasingly from this White House, but I think we had a couple of instances this week where Trump had all of the advantage, all of the home court advantage that the White House and the the that, that that brings to a messaging conversation. And he's, you know, yelling at reporters. He's, you know, using his time with the president of Finland. He's, I mean, he's squandering that opportunity. And then we had congressional leaders walk into a room in front of the American flags and set the terms of an impeachment debate. I mean, usually the person sitting in the White House has that that messaging advantage, and that was really squandered this week. Right, and Michael, to your point, I feel like the president can limit his fight to the House and that let Mitch McConnell and the Republican senators dismiss this pretty quickly, but he's not making it easy on them. He's not making it easy. And the, I mean, the times that the conservative movement uh, or Republicans have had messaging successes under President Trump are times when congressional Republicans want something and the conservative movement writ large wants something as badly as the president does. Tax reform and the two Supreme Court nominations, USMCA to a certain extent. But that's not possible in this situation because congressional Republicans don't know all the facts. People in the uh, Trump administration don't know all the facts. I mean, you get the distinct impression that the only people that know exactly what's going on here and why are Rudy Giuliani and the president of the United States. And you can't build an effective – you cannot build an effective broad communication strategy based on that because the facts are bad. And it's really interesting to watch. I think Democrats have had a big challenge over the last year of – democratic unity and keeping what is a wide tent, both from the presidential primary going on and just from the, the range of opinions and places where Democrats fall within the within the Democrat the moderates, the liberals. They've had a new big, phases like AOC. Yeah. yeah, they've had a big challenge with 
I think, unity and message discipline. And it's pretty remarkable to see how quickly that has really shifted and um, and and the ability of, of really Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi to, to set the terms of this and have Democratic members aligned. Right. Let, let's shift gears just a little bit. We've talked about the congressional agenda, but, but Trump has his own agenda as well. We've got the Chinese delegation coming back to D.C. soon to talk about um, a trade deal. You mentioned the UAW strike, um, Stacey. Economy continues to show signs. Trump needs a win here on his economic platform. Do you see him getting that in the next few months? How is he going to try to tackle that issue? I think he needs the absence of a loss. And the, the the economic indicators are very mixed. Uh, the timing of recessions sometimes determines their political impact because people's perception of a recession is tends to lag the actual economic indicators. Um, you saw that in President Bush's first President Bush's failed reelect in 1992. The economy right. was actually getting better, um, but not in time for people to feel it. Uh, so I don't know what what he's sort of doing right now is avoiding doing further damage. He's, he's, he's Hippocratic Oath right now. And that ten, that's pushing off further trade action against China, pushing off the implementation of some of these trade war uh, policies. I think you'll probably continue to see that. It's hard to imagine, given tax reform, it's hard to imagine another major economic lever that he can pull other than hectoring the Fed. And I'm assuming he'll continue to he'll do continue that. He'll continue to do that. Can he go into his reelection without a... U.S.-China trade deal? Yes, as long as the economy is strong. Okay. If, we, if we're still at record, record, un, uh, record low unemployment, if we're still continuing to see not spectacular but steady 2%-ish economic growth, then yes, he can. But it would certainly be helpful, and it would be doubly helpful if we started to see either of those figures slipping. Let me, let me throw a similar question to you, Stacey. Can Democrats go into the election without a prescription drug pricing bill? I think they can. Um, I think they won't. I think you're going to see a real attempt at passing a prescription drug bill. Uh, it's hard to see maybe now how whether or not Mitch McConnell will take that up. And Pelosi's got her work cut out for her in this respect as well. I mean, I think the left still wants more. And so there's going to be some negotiations within the Democratic Party. And whether or not that plays out in public or if that's work behind the scenes could impact some of these factions that we've been talking about as well. A couple more questions before we wrap up. I do want to get back into the politics of it. Um, Joe Biden is obviously a central figure to this story, um, regardless of what side of the politics you're on. Um, How do you see this impacting his primary campaign? Well, look, I think Joe Biden has a challenge in that he is very well known among the Democratic base, and yet he still has polling that is in the high 30s, 40 percent. I don't think this is going to be the issue that starts to see a clear front runner or a breakup into this crowded Democratic primary. I I think that the Biden campaign is an ocean liner and they've taken a torpedo below the the waterline. I think that they will not sink today, but they will slowly and surely drag them down. And I say that not because I believe the vice president did anything illegal and not necessarily because I think that his son did anything illegal, but his son was clearly profiting from his father's position in government and it just looks bad. This is exactly the reason that 
Uh, President Trump always refers to the former vice president as swamp man, his decades of experience in the U.S. Senate and the impression of of self-dealing. Now, what's really interesting to watch is what will the Biden campaign do with this? I mean, I think there is a real case to be made strategically to take on Trump, make this a two-person race, show voters what it looks like to have a Biden versus Trump election yeah, and, yeah. and there could be Trump actually that decision well, and he will continue to push on biden so it's how and, biden responds and we saw we key. saw biden I, I think have the strongest verbal response uh, to these attacks this week but it was still and the image was a um was a very typical politician in a blue suit and striped tie standing in front of american flags reading from a piece of paper and that's just not the dynamism that i think democrats are going to want from someone who's going to go toe-to-toe with, with trump all right, let's wrap up. I want to do a little rapid fire, kind of summarize what we've talked about. So um, do we all agree the House impeaches Trump? I do believe that the House will impeach Trump and send it over to the Senate. Yes. And do we all agree Senate will likely not remove the president from office? I'm not sure on that yet. I'm quite confident. How long does this last? Are we still dealing with impeachment at New Year's? I think that depends on the facts on the ground. I think that if no substantial additional information emerges, if the White House continues to stonewall, if there's not another shoe to drop, then it's possible to wrap it up before the new year. I do think it's also very possible that additional information will come up and that it could be it could wind up dragging on uh, longer than that. I agree with Steele. I think this could go into the new year. I think that would still be moving pretty quickly. I think we've got to see where the facts take this. But one thing that could change the timing of this a bit that I'm watching is I think there could be some advantage in what we might see is that Democratic leaders actually have the House come back after next week from their recess and start working shorter weeks, maybe the shorter weeks that we saw under a Republican speaker, where they send members back home. You know, they're coming in Tuesday night to Thursday or something. They have members back home in their district. They're continuing to work on impeachment. They're continuing to to work on these pieces Meaning of legislation. Schiff and the committee members are here. They're doing their work. They're continuing to work. But I think, home. look, the reality of creating and writing legislation, you don't need 435 members to write a prescription drug bill. And I think, I think if I'm Pelosi in the House leadership, I want members at home hearing from their constituents, talking to voters. And I'm not sure I need my full caucus here with more people to control more time to go well this is a this is a counterintuitive argument and i think it's probably right like going into this recess i argued that democrats were making a mistake taking the recess that they had momentum on their side there was they were they were finally hitting their stride and it was the worst time to go away but as it's turned out having the speaker here having chairman schiff here has allowed them to continue to make progress and the members of the committee allowed them to continue to make progress. And now I'll, I'll say the part that, that Stacey doesn't want to say, which is there's also a member management aspect here where you don't have 200-some-odd Democratic members clamoring to get on uh, MSNBC and CNN every minute of every day, offering takes that may not necessarily jibe with either the facts or their leadership's wishes. Yeah, and I think That's if I'm leaders point. in the House, I would much rather have this uh, information be rolled out in regional and local newspapers and media sources than through managing that many Democratic voices in the national conversation. I think Pelosi and Schiff are doing a really good job at the message discipline of this, and they will be incentivized to continue that. Yeah, and that allows them to continue on their agenda. So um, 
let me ask both of you this. Does USMCA pass before the end of the year? I think not before the end of the year. I'm in the same place. I think that it, it still has a very real chance of passing, but it's tough to see it. It's tough to see it proceeding at the same time as the impeachment inquiry. Do we get a budget deal in November or do they keep kicking that down the road? I think I think the chances um, even over the last week are more likely given the White House's posture are more likely for a government shutdown in December. I think it's tough to predict simply because it's entirely dependent at the end of the day on the president and what he's willing to accept. I think congressional negotiators can not easily but can certainly reach an agreement um, that would be satisfactory enough to all sides. It's you can see the president wanting government to keep running, avoid threats to the economy, and sign pretty much whatever Congress produces. You can also see him trying to take whatever they produce hostage in order to make a point about impeachment, et cetera. So it's entirely dependent on the president himself. Great. Well, thank you both. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. I feel like we could go a couple more hours. A lot to watch. But, um, <laughs> no shortage I, of news. I have a feeling we'll be back on this topic again soon um, here on HBS's podcasts. But I want to thank both of you for your time. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into this special edition. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. Find more from Hamilton Place Strategies at hamiltonplacestrategies.com. 